We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Derek C. Paul, my co-host, my partner in crime, Michael Stewart. And we are not celebrating a win tonight, folks. It was brutal. It was ugly. A 20-7 home, and let me put that in quotes, home loss to the San Francisco 49ers. That word that we're receiving from our guys that were there is the crowd's about 50-50. 
a lot of times like a 49er home game. A lot of reasons to be embarrassed tonight, but most important reason to be embarrassed? Well, they lost 20-7. Your thoughts? My thoughts are we need some realignment of our thinking and playing and play calling and attitude. Just a whole shebang. But, you know, good thing is this is a long NFL season, but you don't want to just give away games at the beginning of the season. That puts yourself in a scramble mode at the end. Uh, they didn't give this game away, though. They just they were they were only in it for basically one drive. From that well, drive what I forward, mean is, though, I mean, you know, you're giving it away by taking an L. I guess you could say you could say that absolutely. It was um, yeah. a tough one here. I think for us to swallow today it was a an eye opener for many folks who would argue that the Rams should have been this should have been Rams win. This should have been Rams at least a close game. It was close for a half, although going into halftime, you kind of felt like momentum was going the 49ers way and then absolute domination in the second half. Oh, man. Jeez. It's uh, it's pretty brutal. Pretty brutal. And we have a lot to talk with you about concerning this game. There's, there are a lot of problems that I think peaked their ugly head. There are certainly some disagreement already between myself and Mike as we are getting ready for this show to start. We already were... Uh, debating this and so we have a lot to share with you before we do we have to ask you to head over to apple music or spotify soundcloud spreaker wherever you find us and subscribe if you're on apple music please leave a review a five-star review would be excellent we still have the contest going on but once we get 200 five-star reviews one lucky winner will get a 75 dollar gift ticket to nflshop.com i talk so fast there that i wonder if that even came across straight so i'm saying again one lucky winner gets a 75 dollar gift certificate to nflshop.com. This is how it works. Head over to Apple Music, leave a five-star review, send us an email at ramstop1945 at gmail.com with a copy of your entry so we know who to enter, who to reward. And then we'll also read your feedback on the show. We do have a couple we want to read, but I think we're going to wait until Wednesday probably when we're, we're a little more calm to read those things. So if we don't read, you, read them tonight, sorry, we'll, we'll wait until Wednesday. This episode is sponsored by Jim Hawkins, Book Hollow's team. And also, we'd like to throw a shout-out to our partners in crime over there at the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. All right. Boy. Mike. 27. Yep. The stats yep. I, The stats to me are even worse than that. And yeah. do you want to do the honors or do you want me to do the honors on this one? Hey, I'll do the honors. Uh, let's start with the old dreaded 49ers. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, 24, 20, uh, 33 for 243, one INT. Their leading rusher was uh, Tevin Coleman. He was 18 carries for 45. Matt Breda was 13 for 36. An assortment of others uh, receiving. George Kittle had a nice day for them, eight catches. Uh, for 103 yards, he was targeted eight times, and he caught him eight times. So he had a great game. Dante Pettis, three for 45. Matt Breda, four for 27. Debo Samuel, three for 18. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo had a fumble strip sack from uh, the steady Aaron Donald. Again, interceptions, none for them. Their defensive player, uh, Jimmy Ward looked like he stacked up with five uh, unassisted. Fred Warner was five and one assist. Uh, then assortment of other young men. 
On the Rams side of the ball, man, look at this. Jared Goff, 13 of 24 for 78 yards. No touchdowns, no INTs. Malcolm Brown, 11 carries for 40, uh, filling in for the uh, injured Todd Gurley. We had Daryl Henderson. Good to see him get some some plays in there. Six for 39. I uh, had a 6.5 average, so that was good to see. Robert Woods on a couple end of rounds, two for 16. Receiving, again, this is a little brutal. Tyler Higby, three for 25 yards. Brandon Cooks, three for 18. Cooper Cup, four receptions for 17 yards. Uh, goes on down again. Aaron Donald had a fumble. Uh, we had an interception, Marcus Peters there in the end zone that probably saved it from maybe looking even worse. Steady at linebacker again, Corey Littleton, uh, nine tackles, five unassisted, Troy Reader, seven, and three unassisted. Uh, Sebastian Joseph Day had five, one assist, and so had a good day. Eric Weddle, steady again, had a number of uh, six uh, tackles, six assists, Four tackles, six assists, so, you know, total of 10, so big day. But when your safety is getting that many tackles, that means it's a long day. So other than that, uh, Greg Zerline was good at from extra point. Uh, Heckard had five punts for 53 average, which was pretty good. Uh, JoJo Natson, three returns for 27. So that kind of rounds out the stats of the day. And team stats, too. Those team stats were even more ugly. 22 first downs for the 49ers, 10 for the Rams. 8 of 17 on third down for the 49ers, 0 for 9 for the Rams. 0 for 4 on fourth down for the Rams, 1 for 1 for the 49ers. 49ers outgained the Rams 331 to 165. That feels like, well, Mike, let's be honest, it feels like the Fisher days. So it feels like. (laughs) That's the way around that. Rams ran, geez, Rams ran 50 plays. 49 ran 76. Rams ran for 109 yards, which is decent, but that was almost what they had at halftime. Five yard per carry average. They probably should have stuck with a run, even though they got into a bond with Earl in the, in the second half. Yards passing after all the sacks 56 for the Rams, 232 for the 49ers. Five punch for the Rams. Johnny Hecker did his job at 3.8. Eight penalties, one fumble loss. Here's the thing 21. Minutes of time possession. Punts four for the for the forty nine ers thirty nine point eight four penalties for thirty yards one fumble lost. The stats tell the story. The twenty seven score you could say eh, it was close. It was relatively close. The stats really do tell the story. This is a, a complete and total domination by the forty nine ers. I think we all expected a close game. I don't think anybody expected this team to get dominated at home, and. There's a, this, I think there's a lot of soul-searching to take place in this organization, a lot of blame going around already on social media, some folks blaming Goff, some people blaming the offensive line, some folks blaming soft coverage for the, for the 49ers, I mean, for the Rams against the 49ers, some people blaming the pass rush, some people blaming play calling, some people blaming the, the overall game plan. And I think there's a lot to digest. It's going to be hard to... Sort it all out, but here's one thing that's clear. This team is not last year's team. It's not even 2017. They need to find an identity. They need to find it fast, and they need to stick with it. And there's no real there's no real sin in that. There's no real fault in that. When you have a change in personnel, when you have a change in a lot of different areas, and people adapt to how you're on offense, you have to adapt. And, and Mike, I guess this is the first time in memory that – 
I've seen a, a Sean McVay coach team not adapt well. Previous articles out there written by people like maybe Monsignor and have noted the change in play calling, the adjustments of little things that were working compared to where they were at the end of last year. There was all kinds of different looks and views at how they were now using the crack back to deal with the 6-1 six, defenses that were being put up front. But this team got dominated today up front. And um, we knew it was possible. We knew it was possible. We, we've been saying this for a while. This 49ers team was built to beat the Rams. And today it did. Today it did. All right, Mike, I guess I'm going to go to you here. What are your first thoughts? Mike, you there? Sorry about that. I'm sorry. I actually pushed mute. mute. Uh, what I was saying is, uh, <laughs> I needed to laugh that uh, <laughs> You know what I mean? Uh, my What I was saying was simply one thing you hope to do is play well at home. You know, you want to make people that come into your stadium know that it's going to take everything you got to beat us. We didn't look like that today. We looked like we were the visiting team and the 49ers were the home team, which is a little bit troubling to me because you just expect to play a little bit better at home. But we talked about this a few weeks ago, their last home game, you know, possibly distractions of being at home or whatever it is, but it just doesn't seem like we're playing as fired up as home and using whatever home field advantage you're supposed to have, it's just not happening right now. So I totally agree that there has to be, you know, some changing of the minds and whatever's going on. And maybe it's just a hangover that, you know, the dangerous thing is, and, and I think we've talked about this way back, you know, we went to the NFC championship game in 89, ended up, you know, six and 10 the following season with basically the same roster. So I know how that can go. You think that you got the same thing, and then, I don't know, guys maybe get a little more selfish, play calling gets a little more, hey, let's go for it on these and things, you know, because we went for it on the fourth downs and came up short every time. So, yeah, a lot to talk about. A lot to talk about. Well, there's numerous topics we could even hit from the very beginning. Before we do, let's give a quick shout-out to our sponsor, You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. All right, so let's go ahead and hit this one now because I I know that you're fired about this. Jared Goff, I don't believe you can put this loss on Jared Goff's shoulders. I believe he had his issues. But you had your own explanation for this. Let's, let's dig into that a bit. Mike, what was your evaluation of this game from the offensive side of the ball? And what really gave you, what causes, well, how do I say it? What, 
why do you put a lot of this on, on Jared Goff? Well, I put a lot on Goff in the sense that when you start to miss open receivers, there's something going on. And it seems like if a team is able to maybe get in his face or get to him early, it just throws him off for the rest of the day. But I saw a ton of overthrows, errant passes, skips off the ground, you know, when guys are open, throwing in the coverage, throwing underneath when you need 10 yards, you dumping it to the back or trying to dump it to Cooper Cuff when guys are all over him. So that part, I'm going to say a little bit of a scheme or a game plan because uh, obviously it doesn't seem like our, rec- our receivers are separating. But I was more concerned with some of the plays where you're just overthrowing guys who are open, and especially Everett Late. Uh, a friend of mine just texted me and he said, golf is the worst quarterback in NFC. And you overthrew the, you know, ever late, but I don't think that's the case. But it looks that way when you're at the NFL level. You ha- you just got to make those throws. I mean, well, Goff threw for over 900 yards in his last two games, so it's not like he can't throw the ball, and it's not like he can't make the throws. I think it's a fair observation to make, though, when you're saying when he gets pressure, when he gets somebody in his face. He gets nervous. The question is, how much of that's natural for any quarterback? How much of that's youth? And how much of that is there actual real concern for a quarterback mentally? Is that the, well, What does that imply? What does that imply about Jared Goff? And what are you really trying to say? Are you saying he's weak mentally? Or are, you, are you saying that he um, is not prepared for this stuff? What are you, what are you saying? I'm, a, I'm saying that I think we've seen what Goff can do But then everyone, I think, would agree you're looking for the next step. Yeah, we're not trying to say he's going to be Joe Montana or Tom Brady. But you want him to be up there with the Boomer Esiasons, you know, the Phil Simses, guys that can make the plays. You know, he's not going to be maybe up there with the Drew Breeses. But you have to be a guy who has his height you have to be able to make better throws given time. So my thing is, when you're given the time, I get it. No quarterback is, when they're under duress, are going to be able to do anything. But I'm saying there was a lot of throws today. He had time to either step up or just make a good throw, and he just didn't make a good throw. But here's my, my issue. This is not really defensive golf as much as it is me really hammering the offensive line. And this is Goff, obviously, the numbers show it. 13 and 24 for 78 yards. That's it's bad. Missing effort down the sideline late. And when he that's when he had some time. He stepped up. He he his form was fine. He just missed him. He missed him. So he had some he had some protection. But there were a lot of times in this game where he was having to move. He was not able to position himself. He was running for his life in some cases, or in many cases, he was being just basically full to the, the pocket. It's almost like you're watching this slow, slow-mo movie, nightmare movie, you know, a horror movie, where everything's happening super slow motion. But you're watching, <laughs> it's like watching your life come to an end very slowly. And that, that it was like that pocket was just folding in around him so much. Like and well, if you're feeling pressure well, I mean, from both sides like that, that's and you're feeling it to the point where 
it's where, geez, I can't even spit anything out tonight. My, if you are feeling pressure like this constantly, when you do get protection, are you not going to be nervous back there? Well, again, you would say that maybe about Ty- Kyler Murray, who's a rookie, but we're talking about a guy who would be considered in some cir- circles a seasoned vet. Yeah, he's a younger vet, but he's been in the fire. Dude has played in the Super Bowl. So and that being the case, yeah, you know, I don't know how squirrely you should be getting now that you've already been in there under the fire. So I just think that a lot of things has to do with, you know, overall timing and things like that. But you got to be able to step up. And the reason why I said that, I saw an exchange between him and and uh, Coach McVay late in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Saw that, and yeah. they were looking at their. You saw that when they were yep. looking at the iPad and he was saying, look, you basically you got to hit this guy over here. Basically, you're throwing it to, you know, that's why I kind of read his lips saying. And Jerry was like, no, you know, you know, kind of not arguing, but talking back like, well, I'm, I'm thinking this or that. But it looks like Mavea is like, hey, man, you got to start being able to read what the defense is, because you can see on some other throws where he's throwing it. Uh, you see in the background a guy's running wide open over the middle. And so you're going, well, how come he didn't throw it there? So, again, those are kind of things, yes, if you're getting early duress, you're not maybe getting to your third read, which maybe that's a guy who's open. You're maybe only getting to your first, maybe your second, and then you're just, you know, throwing it wherever he was throwing it today. He was throwing it. A lot, well, a lot of just short stuff. We didn't see them go long much at all. We didn't until late, really. And they had an open manly. What, what really concerned me about the Rams offensively is they didn't attack much more than ten to fifteen yards. Now a lot of that's going to be the pass rush coming at you, and that pass rush was going after him all game, every game. I think the the Rams are setting themselves up for for what you're talking about. What we're talking about, if they cannot stretch the field, they have some of the most talented skill position players in the league. I would argue anyone, anyone, to line up the Rams' skill position players, both offensively and defensively, against anybody else, just skill position players, and tell me their team is more talented there. And I tell you, you're full of it. There is so much talent across the board at the skill position for the Rams. But yet, if they're being restricted by play calling, by scheme, by poor offensive line play, by poor quarterback play, then they're useless. They mean nothing. And you're paying lots and lots of money out to players like Brandon Cooks for nothing. Well, I, I agree with that, but there, there's a quote that uh, Denzel Washington uses in. He's addressing, he's uh, doing a commencement ceremony, and he says, dreams are only dreams unless you have goals. So, yeah, you can have what is considered talented people and things like that, but what does that mean if if you're not getting open, if the ball's not getting there on time, if the scheme of the defense is shutting down whatever ability or capabilities you have it's kind of like that it's like whatever you can be talented on paper but how is it playing out 
in the game. You know, one of the things that I look for even now as a head coach is, again, how quick can you make adjustments and get away from? I think what happens is these teams and us as coaches, we have what we call a game plan going into and we've thought about it. We planned and we've done this and this should work and that should work. This is my counter. The thing is, what I've learned for me as a young head coach, I scrap the game plan as quick as possible. And I say, I go with the hot hand. If there's a guy playing in the three, four and he's beating a guy, well, we're sticking with the three, four. If the dude in the four, three is beating the nose or, or the tackle or the guard, well, then we stick with the four, three. So my thing is go with the hot hand, go with actually what's working, scrap the game plan because Sticking to the game plan sometimes puts you in the loss column. But they didn't really even stick to the game plan. They they no, they walked no. away from the game plan very quickly. Exactly, exactly. But you know, I think we can show the ability to run. But just like anything, there has to be a little bit of you know deception. Just like on those fourth down and third downs, you just can't run the ball up the gut and think that, oh, okay, we're just going to keep running it up the gut because, and and I find this out, uh, and I and I encourage our own this high school level offensive coordinator keep everybody spread out. Once you bring everybody in in a short short yardage, well, the D lineman all they know is like, man, I'm going to get lowered in the offensive lineman and make a pile, and then if it's a pile, there's no running room. And that's what happens too much, and that's what happened, you know, on those couple plays when we should have scored, you know, in the second quarter, which would have changed the momentum of the game. But you get stopped at fourth and inches, you know, that's a big momentum swing. It is. And then you have to wonder about, in that case, the play calling. Was that the right call to make when you're going up the gut three straight times when you just lost your left guard? Right. (laughs) You know, so rewind all that and bring it back circular. There you go. There's the complaints. For me, just to, to kind of seal this on Jared Goff, the problem I have with folks who want to hammer Goff is that there are so many just different parts to this game, to the team, to how an offense works, how a defense works, how a game plan is put together. And if you're going to single out Goff as Goff being the problem, when after that first drive, the Rams did almost nothing offensively, either running or passing the ball, when you had no real protection up front and very little run blocking up front, when you had other issues going on, I, I just have a problem with that. Goff has to get better. I think we can agree on that part, right? Yeah, he, ha- he has yeah, to get better. Agree. Yeah. Okay. And I think it's safe to say that his development, as in terms, he's your franchise quarterback, you're paying tons of money. His development has to get better in terms of reading defenses. I just have a problem, though, when people put this loss at his feet as if the rest of the offense was doing his job. And it wasn't. Well, you s- yeah, well, we, we know that it's a team sport, obviously. But in this again, I, and I'm going to sing this till somebody may listen. When you give 
or these teams in general give the quarterback basically keys to the organization by making them the highest paid player on the team, then there's a lot of responsibility and expectation that comes with that, whether it's right or not. It just is. And so it's not really cool to say, oh, we can pay you all the money and then you don't show up. No, you either take less money and then we have a lot more love for you when you just play okay. But you can't be the highest paid or one of the highest paid and not show up week in and week out. That's kind of what it boils down to. And if you look at the receivers and or the tight ends, when they just, like when he overthrows Everett, Everett just kept running up the field like, man, I can't believe this. You know, they're not trying to show him up, but they're not running over to him saying, hey, man, that's okay either. And neither is anyone else. So that tells me a lot about actual where the leadership or where guys feel like, man, this guy get it done or not get it done. True. True. And, you know, that's that's something that has to be talked about. And I, I do want to point this out, too. Some of our most famous quarterbacks, one you played with, in particular, Jim Everett. Okay? Jim Everett had some really, really great seasons. He had a couple of really bad ones. He eventually went to the Saints, put together a really nice campaign there, and all of a sudden, you know, a lot of people forgot about some of his struggles. Quarterbacks do have ups and downs in their career. Even Peyton Manning had some down years. Even even. Tom Brady has had his not-so-great years. Quarterbacks do have down years. And it's, to me, it's not exactly unexpected that Goff is going to have a down year. The question, I think, moving forward, especially after a loss like this, is how does he react to that? How does this team react to the fact they are not the 2018 Rams offense right now? They're not the 2017 Rams offense. They're playing like the 2016 Rams offense, which is middle school offense. So how do they adjust moving forward? And there are a lot of comments that I'm reading just in our social media that are bringing up some of the problems that are, I think, outside of golf that are more about the team. And I think some of the things we want to question is roster decisions. Roster decisions. You know, the, the the decision to move on from Saffold. The decision to move on from Sullivan. Even though Sullivan was strong. Sullivan's not even on the team right now. That should tell you something. But you plug in two rookies, or quote-unquote second-year guys who are, who are really are rookies. They didn't play one snap in the preseason, and now they're your starting center and your left guard. Right, all that plays in the plays into it, but this is where it gets dicey at the quarterback position. The guys you named, you know, whether it's Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, uh, Brady, yeah, they may have some off game or off gear, but because they've actually done the opposite, one in the clutch, that's what they're also known for. Like, man, we can we can do this. The, the hangover was happening with golf, and this is my opinion. He missed wide open throws in the Super Bowl. And then now you turn around this year, okay, he's doing the same thing. That's what it looks like. 
You see what I mean? So that's where a lot of the heat comes in. Okay, well, this guy's not improving. We lost Super Bowl because we missing wide open throws or throwing it late. Now we're in the season. Hey, man, it seems like he's getting worse. Now we can say it's the O-line. We can say it's the the roster moves. But we all have to realize, again, when you have a cap, hard cap, you got to spend so much money. I'm just saying, if I were a GM, I would make it so that the quarterback pay is more commensurate amongst the whole team. That way you can have not just one guy on offense and one guy on defense. You could have four or five on both sides of the ball. But until these GMs and teams figure it out, we can't give 70, 80 percent of the cap to the quarterback. You just can't do it because you just can't fill in the other areas to make up for the big drop in play, if you will. Well, the, the problem is what you want and you're hit. You hint that towards the end. What you want is not going to happen right now. It's just not until the and this is, geez, how I, <laughs> how do I even say this? Until teams conspire, yeah, conspire and make this decision together to not pay one dude twenty five percent of your salary cap, then you're going to keep having these problems. This is what to me, if you remember, think back to the. The, the Ravens Super Bowl went over the 49ers. And they rewarded Flacco with this massive paycheck. That's, to me, what killed the Ravens Super Bowl run. There you go. That's they, a great they, example. They went and they paid Flacco a ton of money. And it was never the same. They were competitive. 8-8, eight and 9-7, eight, and 10-6. and six. But... Now Flacco's in Denver, and Lamar Jackson's running the show there. Right, and you look at uh, Flacco's play. How did he play after that? And and as much as people – but there's a big difference between making a million a year and close to 19, 20, 25, or whatever it is. That's a huge jump. And people can say, hey, man, the money doesn't do anything. no. Once you get you look at Todd Gurley right now, you cannot tell me that he's going, hey, man, yeah, my knee is hurting. I'm out or whatever's bothering him. I'm out. Yeah, I'm going to go do this. I'm out. But when he was trying to get paid, guaranteed he was doing whatever conditioning, training, uh, rehabbing, ice machine, whatever they use, stem machines, uh, hyperbaric chambers. He was out there making sure I'm out here every game putting in work. Soon as he got the money, your mindset goes, yeah, I don't have to take that punishment like that. And so as much as people think that, you know, there's very few players, they'll pay for a dollar. You can play for millions. You can name them. Jordan, Magic, Bird. You know, old school guys like, you know, uh, uh, Dwight White for the Steelers, you know, Mean Joe Green, you know, oh. Butkus. You could, you you could know. make the argument. I mean, the, the classic argument right now for that really is Tom Brady. And Tom Brady could right. be paid much more than he's been paid over the years. He constantly took pay cuts in terms of contracts. Now he's getting paid what he's worth, by the way. Right. But for many, many years, Tom Brady was 
a middling paid quarterback when in reference to his value. And this is one of the concerns I had when the Rams actually it started when when Kirk Cousins signed the Vikings. I was ticked. Yes. Because I knew that was going to completely reset the market. When they threw all yes. that guaranteed money in him, I knew what that was going to do to the market. And we've seen it go skyrocketing ever since then. And to me, the one thing that say is a saving grace in all this is the Rams, by choosing to extend Goff now, at least if he winds up being worth more later, they're paying him the rate to get him now, not for later. But he still has to to live up to that pay, you're right. But putting Goff aside for a second and looking at the rest of this team, you have a very young, inexperienced offensive line. Austin Blythe, 27 years old, four years in the NFL. Those four years, most of those were bet that was on the bench. Brian Allen, two years in the NFL, barely played a snap last year. First year. Joe Nopum, who I'm telling you right now, be on the lookout. That injury may be serious. I'm looking it up, see if we know something. Right. But I saw something based on my own experience, folks. What I just saw that tells me that injury is serious. Okay? I'm looking for for more information. I, If you were listening, if you were watching the TV and you were paying attention to when they got him, I think you know what I'm talking about. But those are all inexperienced guys. They may be a little older in some cases, like Blythe being 27. Havenstein being 27, being paid $8 million a year, should be better than he's been. And then there's Whitworth, who even his PFF numbers are down. Although I think it's, I think it's okay to say that that's a product of the entire offensive line being bad. But Mike, this offensive line is... It's not just bad, this is... This is one of the worst Rams offensive lines I've seen in years, and I've seen some bad ones. It's I want to go back to well, I mean, we can say it's bad or things like that. You hit it earlier in regards to time playing together. Uh, me and my son were going back and forth, you know, texting on the phone, and you know, even a guy like Whitworth was called for I think three penalties a day, which is unheard of. But maybe he's now trying to do too much. But again, I'm going to say these teams better figure it out. You got to play these guys in the preseason. I know you're trying to avoid injuries and all that, but the timing to me is still off. I mean, we're trying to throw a little uh, jet screens, if you will. And I mean, we can't even hit that. Or or if we get it, guys are just tackling us. So it's not like we're tricking or fooling anyone, but this is also part of now there's two years, three years of tape on coach, player, and players that now you have that show some more tendency. So that's where, you know, I'm thinking something's going awry with are we just sticking to the game plan and not making adjustments as the game is dictating? True. And we, we, what, what adjustments do we see today? What adjustments do we see from this offense today? I'm not, I, don't, I'm not, I don't even want to go at the defense, Mike. I don't want to go at the defense. I am looking straight at the offense. The defense, 20 points, 331 total yards. Their backs against the wall on that on the Henderson fumble. They did fine. They had a couple issues that, that you know, pass rush wasn't there as much as we'd like, or some penalties early in the game, especially the 
what was it? The um, playing soft underneath again. That's been an, an annoyance all year going back to Fisher Ball days. But overall, the defense was fine today. They were worn out and tired, and they still only get 20 points to a team that was really trying to grind them out. I'm pinpointing the offensive line. Outside of Goff, where you went, I'm going offensive line. And I'm going to quote Rich Hammond here from The Athletic, one, one of the Rams guys from The Athletic. Just to be clear, when I say it's the line, I'm talking about the Rams' decision to go internal with replacements for the veteran guys. And He's referencing an earlier tweet saying, yep, tell me it's not the line. Because anybody who's watching this can see it. This line is not able to do what Sean McVay wants to do. They're bad. Now the question is, how does Sean McVay adapt to the fact that this offensive lineman is bad? And let's be honest, today he adapted with some really some frustrating play calling. Some really frustrating play calling. Mike. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know, I don't know how or when or what, you know, it'll be interesting to see, like you said, what the the injury report is going to say. But it just looks to me like, you know, guys aren't really confident. Now, the big thing we had going last year, we did have the running game going, which obviously opens up the passing game a little bit more as well. But I think that uh, you got a kid like Henderson, it seems like he would be playing more, but maybe – and again, my speculation, maybe he doesn't know all the playbook. He doesn't know how to get all the blitz pickups. But it seemed like when he was in there, he did what he could do, what we saw the potential in the, in the preseason. So I would look for a guy like that playing a lot more. But again, when you pay money to certain guys, it's almost like, well, they got to be in or, you know, why do we pay him? Or it's all these other things that start you know, coming out on the whys and the why nots. But it just seems to me, again, go with the hot hand. If you got a guy who can run the ball, let's get it to him. Oh, yeah. One more thing defensively. First half tackling was awful. There we go. Tackling the first half was awful. Here's something that somebody mentioned here. Uh, Richard Ramsey at Richard 955-49251 notes the, the QB looks scared, not confident like he should. I'll, I'll agree with that. The head coach made some questionable calls, especially play selection on fourth down. Crucial mistakes by number 88. We've seen this before. And the fumble by rookie 27 were killers. Donald, not dominant. This is a Super Bowl hangover. Uh, Don, Donald's dominant. He's not getting a whole lot of help there. Not at all. I mean, Donald's still doing his thing. I mean, that dude is literally truly unblockable. I mean, that dude gets by people. He's putting pressure. I think he's doing all he can and a lot more. It just doesn't seem that uh, there's any consistency across the board, whether it's offense or defense. So, yeah, I don't know what Coach Phillips is is doing. But, again, you know, we lost uh, Keep Tlaib to a rib injury. So you got guys out there. And so may just have to be going with some different coverages just to make sure, you know, you do it to us a bunch of times as opposed to giving up a big, big, big play. And don't forget Clay Matthews wasn't there today either. Absolutely. Huge. Huge. Corey, Corey Littleton dropping that interception. That would have been a big six. That could have changed the game. Oh, that, that sure changed was. The game. That was... Yeah. 
that was brutal. Yeah, so you have, you know, and 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 they'll look back and we talked about it before. You got to make those three or four affordable plays. You get the pick, touchdown. Uh, you make that goal line. Don't make it on fourth down. Make it on third and two. You know, score there. Uh, again, you you get a, a turnover late. You got to turn that into points. You know, if you make half of your thirds and fourth downs, game drives are still alive. So there's a lot of that. So as much as we or much as I'm saying, hey, man, golf has to be able to the game was still there for the taking. It just we didn't want to take it. This wasn't like the four ers took advantage of everything. They only won the game 27. They, they probably could have and should have won this game like 30 to 7, 35 to 7. It was that kind of game. The Rams basically didn't show up the whole second half. They just let the 49ers do whatever they want. Right. I mean, that's it was brutal. There are – I think there's a chance we're also underestimating the injuries here. Todd Gurley, out. Clay Matthews, out. Keeb Tlaib, out. Remember Michael Kaiser? He was supposed to play a major role on this defense. Yeah. And hasn't played a snap this year. Yeah. These There are several. Joe Nopin today, another one, getting hurt. Right. And people can say, well, he's a 30th or 36th ranked PFF. Well, you know, before Joe Nopin got hurt, that offensive line was moving the ball. So just as Joe Nopin and maybe Brian now are starting to work together on the interior, you lose him. Injuries matter, and for the last two years, this this Rams team has gotten away with, for the most part, no major injuries. And this year, you got injuries. You got the only, what was the one major injury last year? Is Cooper Cup? Anybody else? Long term major injury. Keep to leave. They weathered that. It was it was rough for a while, but they weathered that. Some of these guys you aren't getting back. Not at all. Not at all. And, and by the so, way, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, well, I want to point out, because before I forgot Nopum, what I'm talking about, and I'm hoping I'm wrong, is when he went down, I saw, listen, you're talking to a guy who just tore his ACL two months ago, okay, and I'm awaiting surgery. And when you've seen enough football, you just know, okay, in this case, I didn't know because I saw him, I saw him rolling around a little bit when, but you didn't see the replay. Matter of fact, I saw what I'm about to describe before I saw the replay, and what I saw was him on his back with trainers coming out, and then what they did was they performed the ACL test. They test they tested the knee, right. and what I saw was them pulling his leg out, right, just like my doctor doctors have repeatedly done just to remind me that my knee is no longer stable because there's no ACL there. And when I saw his leg move today, that was exactly what mine did when they saw my ACL was torn. I'm not saying the ACL is torn. I'm saying it looks like it is. If There is something wrong there. And... I just wanted to point that out. That I'm not again. I'm not saying it's torn, but real life, real life, I saw it. I don't know if you all caught it, but I caught them doing the ACL test on him, and I saw that leg pop out. 
If you go back, I'll look at the replay. Did you, did you catch what I'm saying, Mike? Did you see it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so because actually uh, the left tackle was getting pushed back on that same play. And they almost collided. But, yeah, anytime that is happening and, and your legs get all twisted out. But the bigger thing for me is once they bring a card out, you know it's pretty serious. And I, they said I thought I thought I was seeing things because he was listed as questionable for a while, and then they finally uh, about thirty minutes left in the game, they called him out. I've seen no mention of him thus far. But I keep checking on Twitter to see if there's been any update on Nope Boom, but Nope Boom, believe it or not, even despite all the ratings. He was coming along. A lot of these guys have been coming along, but they just need more time together. They really need more time right. together. That's how you develop an offensive line. All the things that were happening this year, blessing long term. If these guys can develop into starters, and they've shown signs they can, they've had some, they've had some moments. Then the the rust spots this year are worth it. And then you lose the guy, man. Yeah, that's tough. It's tough. but And that's the reality, unfortunately, that's always the wild card when you're talking about any sports is the injury factor. And then, you know, how does that affect the next guy? You know, we have a saying, next man up, next man up. But if the next man up is, is somewhat timid or just not as skilled, yes, next man up, but there's still a little bit of a drop-off, if you will. Now, the idea is – Scouting departments pride themselves on getting quality backup so that if the starter penciled in or true gets injured, you have someone who actually can step in and at least keep things close to where they were, not a big drop off. You know, Vinny Boston, you are over from the Athletics. He just said this arguably the worst performance with the Rams offensive line since 2016. It was pretty ugly in Chicago last season, but this might be worse. I will say this is the worst I've seen. I've, this is the worst I've seen. Um, also, he noticed the Rams are at a crossroads after a 27 loss, 27 loss to the 49ers. You think the answers are available within? I'm not so sure about that now. That's from Vinny. I would say that, no, the answers aren't available with him. You weren't built for that. You had to let guys go this offseason. If I'm the Rams, you have to revamp and adapt to what you are. And you got to stop trying to be what you were. So what are they going to be from this point out? Are they going to be a team that goes two tight ends, power runs the ball? That's what I would consider. I would I would re- honestly reconsider the 2018 model of the Seattle Seahawks. When they couldn't throw, yeah. they couldn't protect well, they focused on the run, they hammered down the run, and they became a playoff team. And, you know, Russell Wilson still became – a pro bowler because he had enough protection to make some things happen. I would look back at systems like that and go, okay, what's what's zero one? You have a buy coming up in a couple of weeks. You you need to reconsider that. Well, they have to continue to search out some answers, but I, I just I just feel like you don't play your guys in the preseason. And then now you're looking for timing, and then you may start getting, unfortunately, in this situation, injuries. Now your timing is even further off because not only is the team that you thought was going to be the first team, 
haven't played a whole lot together. Now you're going to the next tier guy who's played even less time and maybe a guy that is really on your team to be a special team guy. Yeah, we need you to go in if we got some mop-up minutes at the end. But, quote-unquote, we would never really count on you as a true starter. So, I mean, you could have that being part of it as well. But I think more than anything, it's just the overall being ineffective in the run game. So there's really no play action anymore. You know, it's like, okay, that's just a fake play action because you're never giving it to the guy. So we know that. So that helps the defense out tremendously. And then, you know, obviously for this year, they have new film and new stats, and they may already have some other things that are already uh, being practiced or worked on against our offense so that we look even less effective. Well, yeah, I mean, it just like I, I don't even know what to even say anymore. There are a couple more things I think, Mike, we should really quickly address. Yeah. Uh, but before we do, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, uh, Jim Hawk, wrote the great book, Hollywood Seeing Great Glam, the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. That book is about the 1950s Rams and his dad, John. John Hawk, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. So check out the story of his father, the team he played for, all this in era grits, glory, all that stuff. I, I just can't tell you enough how much this story gives you a full look at Rams history across the board. Check it out. It's available both in hardback, electronic form, paperback, all these different places. You can find the book online, Hollow's team on Twitter, both there and, and on Facebook. It's just folks, it's worth your time. I'm it's the ad, uh, the ad today didn't even do it justice. I'm a little bit flustered from all we've seen today, but Go check the book. It'll make you feel better about life right now if you if you read the book. But that again, that's Jim Hawks. Hall was seeing great glamour in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. Talk about mucking up a live read, man. But um, I'm sure Jim, of all people, understands that. He's I'm sure sitting at home going, "Geez, what was this?" The um, <laughs> I a couple things that really kind of bummed me out that I, I want to address more more probably in the midweek show. John DuPont from J Dupps Five notes the reality is we just aren't that good. And our good young coach is not a genius. Much roster work to do again. What are your thoughts on that comment? Well, I mean, it's it's gonna be kinda all out war, if you will, with way things are going. The danger is thinking that we're the New England of the West when we haven't been in that many Super Bowls, playoffs, and so on and so forth. But still, we're sitting at three and three with 10 more games to go. So a lot can happen. What if we go 10 and 0? Ooh, we're 13 and three at the end of the year. Probably got a first round bye, you know, and all that good stuff. So, yeah, everybody's going to be taking shots right now just in the fact that. You're losing, and when you're losing, things get more magnified. But, I mean, again, I'm, I'm looking at a few of the highlights, and, you know, that young kid Henderson, I mean, he could play. I mean, he laid it on the ground with that fumble, but, you know, that could be the pitch wasn't good or what have you, but it looks like he can run the ball. And you know what? It could also just be the fact he's a rookie and made a mistake. And Absolutely. Rookies are going to make mistakes. You, if you're going to play a rookie, you're going to get that. They will always be that way. If, if you develop them right, he'll be fine. It's just 
that's going to happen. I have a problem with the second part. Talking about your, your good young coach is not a genius. Well, no kidding. But it doesn't mean you should fire him either. And that's what we're seeing other folks in Ram calling for Sean McVay be fired. Listen, man, do you not remember we were two years? I'm, it's a small contingent oh, on wow. Twitter and Facebook already calling for him to be fired. You oh, only no. This is the guy who came in there and made your, your franchise respectable. Got you your Super Bowl in the second year. And now you and now he's saying a rough patch. He's thirty three, right? He's how do I say this? He's not perfect. He's going to make mistakes. You played during the Bill Cower era. Remember this? Absolutely. Okay. And the thing about Bill Cower and the Steelers, the Steelers were patient with him. Bill Cower came in, turned the team around, got him back to the Super Bowl, and then he'd have a down year. And then he'd have another down year. Then he'd have four or five up years and a down year. That's really what normally happens in the NFL. The Patriots are the outlier here. You're going to have right. down years, and you're and you're going to you're going to grow. Even the greatest coaches of all time had their losing seasons. Even the greatest, he has to adapt, and you don't bail on a dude when he hits his first major challenge as a head coach. And quite frankly, I think if anybody can figure it out, it's him. I really do. I agree. And and like you said, and, and we've discussed, again, just because you go to the Super Bowl last year, it's not automatic that you're just automatically going to go to the Super Bowl again. I, I think what the issue is for most of us is you're just looking for rhythm and some consistency. And it just doesn't seem like we have any rhythm on anywhere. And so, again, we got a number – new guys in, whether it's, you know, Weddle or Clay and, you know, the other guys that are stepping up, coming off from what would look backup roles from last year, whatever the case may be. So in one instance, you're, you're looking at a team that is new, you know, and getting to know each other and things like that. So all those things being taken into consideration this just could be a year that ends up being a big growing year for all the people and things that are happening or need to happen. So we'll and see. Honestly, if that's what it winds up becoming, the only thing I would really want them to do, hey, there's enough talent to win here. There's enough talent to be competitive. There's enough talent to win a division. Didn't show it today, but there is. So, from this point forward, what I want to see from this team is just get better. Figure out who you are offensively. Figure out who you are defensively. Make a decision of where you want to go. If I'm the Rams, I'm going back to power running. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to haul that football. I'm going to get two tight ends in there. You, you've seen development with the tight ends. You have other ways of implementing getting Cobb involved and getting Woods involved and getting Cooks involved. But... Get in there and establish who you are. Get these guys up front some confidence, develop the game, that the running game, and then move forward from there. I, I, I'm going to be hardcore in that. 
look at the 2018 Seahawks and they realized they, did, they could not pass protect, they focused in on run blocking and pushing the run. And everything developed around that. Defensively, creating a pass rush, what do you have to do there? Creating better coverage underneath, what are you going to do there? Those are things you can get better at. Most importantly, though, develop these young guys if they can be developed. And that's something I want to ask you about maybe next weekend when we have more time or Maybe if I can get you on for, to join the midweek podcast one of these weeks, if you're not too busy coming on Wednesday or something, you know. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But I, something I do want to talk about is we're seeing more and more people questioning Les Snead now and the draft decisions in the last couple of years, moving back in the draft and getting these third and fourth and fifth round linemen instead of going first and second round in the offensive line. Those are fair questions that I think we should ask and go back and evaluate some of these players. And given how they performed, Mike, I think it's safe and fair to look back and say, you know what, were these the right call? Did the hindsight being twenty twenty? Did the Rams have too much faith in their evaluation process? And has it hurt them? Well, and and just a simple, I would say no, not really. I go back to you know cap. And what's available. So given what they had looking forward at those times, they knew they were going to have to take care of Gurley. They knew they were going to have to take care of Donald. They knew they were going to have to take care of of uh, golf. They knew that, you know, they knew they were going to have to make a decision on it in Dominican Sioux. You know, do we keep them and some of the other players that are no longer here? So that being the case, you can't expect that you're going to trade out of spots or trade a bunch of picks and do this to to move up to maybe get a more legitimate lineman when you have needs at three or four positions. So that having been said, I was just going to go with they've done what they could with what they've had to do. Now they're at a crossroad because the guys that are now in there, they just have to play better overall. And the cool thing is, because we don't know what the game plan has been, it could be just simple things. Like I saw one guy run open, uh, young guys in there, 51, I think it's Havener. Uh, I forget who the, the linebacker is. Reader. But, Reader. Reader. Uh, but he bit up on run, and the tight end runs up the scene, and you see him trying to chase him down. Well, that's just a blown assignment. It's not that he can't run and cover him. But if you're in the backfield or you playing run and then the tight end's releasing on a pass, well, that's just kind of a, a timing practice, being in the game, reminding yourself, hey, I, I'm playing run, but I got to read my pass keys as well. So when you see things like that happening, that's just experience and it's just being in the thick of things. And sometimes guys just try to make a play when they don't have to just play the defense and you'll be fine. But when you get into, all right, we got to make a play. I got to make a play. I got to do, you know, you start maybe taking chances that you don't need to. You you made a great point that I, I hadn't thought of, and that was the missed assignments. Reader missing assignment there. There was an offensive assignment, offensive line assignment in the game where Brian Allen, not Brian Allen, Brian Allen and Austin Blythe had DeForest Buckner and – Blythe peeled off Buckner. That was that you weren't supposed to do that, <laughs> and you left Buckner alone on Allen. Allen got mauled. 
keeping your assignments, learning your assignments, and making sure that you follow those plays through all the way to the end, that is something that comes with knowing the game and the experience you're talking about. Those things are fixable. Those things are fixable. And that should give absolutely that should give fans a little bit of hope too. They're experiencing some growing pains. You have to rely on these young guys. And I gotta be honest, I don't know if these young guys have the ability to do what those departed veterans did. But well, let's just make sense of it. What is the goal every year? Get to the playoffs. All right. So we're sitting three and three, ten games left. Are there plenty enough games to get to the playoffs? Absolutely. Now, the next thing is you want to be playing your best football in November, December, right? Now it's getting a little colder. The ball's a little harder. So the thing is, I would imagine they know playing young guys early, there's going to be some growing pains. And so the idea is let's not just go offers for the next six weeks because then you're done and you're going home early. But if you're able to weather the storm, even if you go 500, you know, now you're going to be whatever, eight, eight and eight, or you end up, you know, uh, six and six going down the stretch, four games left. And now you know what you have to do, whether you're going to make playoffs or the seed, you know, so I, w- I would imagine they're chopping this up into kind of like a game, first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, things like that. So right now we're just about at halftime. So now we got to regroup and go play the second half, which will be, you know, third quarter, fourth quarter, which will be the next third of the season, then on to the next fourth. So I would just imagine that they're looking at it from the standpoint of, yeah, we got growing pains. Let's see where we can correct these mistakes so that they're now not costing us in the wins and loss column. True. And so I guess if people look for us to, to come up with pauses, there are – Potential positives there. This is not like the total Debbie Downer podcast. It may have been for much of it, but totally not the whole thing. But there is one more thing I want to end on, and I think Tommy will have lots of words to say about this come Wednesday. A large portion of the game broadcast was focused on all the 49ers fans who showed up at this game. Texting with Tommy... At the end of the game, he told me it was about 50-50. We have a tweet here from DB Mayday at 14 LA Rams. One of the worst plays, he's referencing one of the tweets we had, but to beat that was we were overrun by 49er fans in our own house. I got to be honest, I don't have anything to say to that. I can't defend it. (laughs) I can tell you that for years, for years now, we were you know we were a site that's been around since the St. Louis days, and there were many debates on our staff and between members of our staff and other staffs because we had such a mixed bag about the St. Louis fan base. And the St. Louis fan base, to this day, I believe, had its strengths, but also at the end, uh, made it a lot easier for Cronky to leave. Okay, and that's not an attack on them. By the way, it's just they they chose not to go anymore. I remember footage of the Packers 
going to visit the Rams in St. Louis and Packers fans fill in that place and Bears fans fill in that place and and Vikings fans and 49ers fans and all these other fans just coming in and filling that place and and it used to drive me nuts. I would be completely hypocritical if I didn't say the same here. When you have half your stadium being filled by your arch rivals from the north, their fans, that's embarrassing. Especially when you're defending NFC champs. People will argue, well, it's a transient community. There are a lot of 49er fans here. So, I mean, tell them there's not 70,000 Rams fans there. I can tell you what happened. Yeah. Go on. I, I, go on. No, go ahead. I can tell you what happened. And that was you had, you had some fans who had their season tickets and sold them. And they didn't care who they sold them to. They knew it was a big game, big ticket, sold their tickets for the game. Right. That definitely happens. And I, I think we'll be able to get a better gauge. Now, you know, fans from out of town and wherever have to get to the stadium as well. You know, sometimes I just feel, you know, having played in the same Coliseum uh, when it was technically somewhat the Raiders home game. Uh, it's huge. I mean, they've done some semi renovations, but they're still the park is horrible and different things like that. But obviously, if you want to get to the game, you're going to get to the game. The thing I always say is simple. If we're beating them 35 to 14 in the third quarter, there's not going to be any 49er fans sitting in the stands. You don't have to worry about that. So that's kind of what happens. But when you're the team, it was 50-50 crowd and your team is the one winning, well, then our team technically is probably the ones leaving. Oh, man, this game is over. I'm out of here. You know what I mean? So it all goes back to the score for a lot of the reasons because L.A. is still L.A., a lot of things to do. It's not like, you know, Green Bay, win, lose, or draw. You're going to be hard-pressed to find other fans in that stadium. I get that. I get that. But still, you're talking about a team that has won two consecutive NFC West titles, went to the Super Bowl last year. They have roots in the L.A. area. You had a large group, a large base of fans who welcome the team home. There needs to be more progress within the community there bringing fans in. There just needs to be. The Rams have always been good working with the community. They've always been good at getting themselves involved in very certain things, even when they're in St. Louis. But you just there is a level of shame when your building is is uh, invaded like it was today. There is a level of shame. And I would begin, I'm hypocritical if I don't call that out, but then when I was willing to call out St. Louis. This doesn't mean that there aren't factors. Like, how do you expect Rams fans in L.A. to commit such a big amount of time during the day right now to go to these games? When they're not in their home stadium yet, they're saving they're saving money for their PSLs or their 
there's very different factors. There's, like, there's a million different things to do. I get it. The parking down there, like you said, it's horrible. But you know what? The tailgating down there is wonderful. <laughs> it's cramped, but it's wonderful. It's a big party. So I, I think I'm rambling at this point. But people got to show, man. This is, your, this is your hometown team. This is a team that is investing a ton of money in a new stadium there that's being paid for by them. That's being... I mean, it's ensuring they're going to be there permanently. They're not going anywhere. This is your hometown team. They've always been your hometown team. It hasn't been the Chargers, who were there for a year and left. True. It wasn't the freaking 49ers. Okay. True. The Raiders came came for 12 years, folks. 12 years. Right. And they're gonna, and you got a bunch of Raiders fans that are latching on. They were there for 12 years, and they left you. Well, the Rams did too. Yeah, you know what? The Rams came back. And they are putting over over $5 billion into your economy right now by building that stadium. They're investing in your in your community. Go. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, and again, they're going to say, well, you, you don't even live here. Well, not by choice. <laughs> Life takes you places, not by choice. Jobs. You know, any chance I get to go see the Rams and going. And I've proven that. This is not like I'm just, I'm not living what I preach. I would kill, man. Mike, I would kill to be able to go to my team's games every every week. It would mean the world to me. But I can't. Right. And and obviously, fans are fans. And, you know, I think you made a great point earlier in regards to if for some reason you think uh, you can double the money on the ticket, hey, I'm going to sell it and watch it from home. So I'm sure... There was a lot of that because we're here and 49er fans are there. So how could they even get the number of tickets to make it even look like it's a half full or 50-50 uh, stands with with the Niners and, and us as Ram fans? So uh, it's just interesting, that, you know, the time and everything. So I think a little bit has to do with the hangover and the new stadium and all the excitement. And I think it's almost like, hey, okay, we, we know about that, but we're ready to open up the new stadium and just be able to say, this is our house. Only thing is, is while they are out drawing the Chargers and they're definitely doing better in the community than the Chargers are, it doesn't say a whole lot for LA football in general. Not yet. And I'm hoping not yet. And I'm hoping that changes, by yeah. the way. You know, I'm True. hoping that I'm, by saying these things and not insulting my own my own base of listeners here, our, our base of listeners, I'm not trying to say that. I'm saying that if you can go, go. Go. I mean, it, it's not good when your team is the one that's getting booed in its home stadium by opposing fans in the first quarter. When your when your team is facing noise issues on offense in your own stadium, that's not good. Against of all teams, the 49ers, your hit arrival. Imagine how people would react if Giants fans <laughs> if Giants fans overran Dodger Stadium. Right. 
How would they react to that? How would they react if Warriors fans overran Staples Center? I mean, I guess that's all I gotta say about it. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's 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 a tough sell in the sense of you know we want our beloved Rams to show up. We would love the fans to show up as well when you have an opportunity. And and again, it was a great sunny day, so maybe a few more people decided, hey, you know, the Rams are going to take care of the Niners. Let's go to the beach today sell the tickets, take the money, use it for dinner, whatever may have been used for, not figured it was going to be a loss today. But, you know, that's kind of, again, one of the things you get with a metropolitan team like L.A. where it's located. There's just a number of things to do on a weekend. And so it's just not as advantageous when, you know, if it were the only show in town. So, uh, I'm going to just, I guess, take a little bit more of a wait and see, like when the state of Maxi gets done and, and then see how uh, people show up. And the team still has responsibility, too. They need to win. They need to win now. True. And they yeah. need to be ever more into the community. It's not just about, hey, fans, just running this as your hometown team. This is about you need to get involved, though. You need to be in there. Every school. If I am the Rams, I am. This is a new initiative. I am getting out to every school district that I can get into. Just dropping by, having a player stop in, leave some stickers. You don't, you don't have to bring like T-shirts or anything. Just stickers. Have a player stop by for a couple hours. Changes the world. Yeah. Just changes their world. Yeah. Yep. I mean, Whitworth did the cool thing last year with those bikes, right? But yes, he did. You don't even have to do that. So, all right, folks. It is time for us to go. What a long podcast. Hopefully we didn't bore you. It was more of a it was a bit more of a loosey goosey kind of a almost a ramble podcast. We hope you used to the different format. I mean, hope you enjoyed it. We don't get used to it. It's not how we're gonna do with it, do things every time. But if you have feedback for the show, send us an email. Rams1945gmail.com. We love your feedback. Also, we're looking for Sponsors. We need sponsors to keep these lights on. Same email address, ramshot1945 gmail.com, and we'll be glad to get back with you. You can also leave us a voicemail at 657-666-5453. Again, that's 657-666-5453. And again, we'll be glad to hear from you. Okay. Don't forget us on Twitter at TalkRams and on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk. You can find me on Twitter at DC Paula and Michael Stewart, the Jared Goff Basher at one <laughs> Duke 23. <laughs> I had to do it. At <laughs> one Duke twenty three. Don't forget some Apple Music, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, all those places. All right. So for Mike and the entire staff, this is Derek C. Paul saying, "Take it easy. We're out of here. We'll see you midweek for the Falcons. We'll be previewing the Falcons. We're out. Let's go." This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. 
Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.